1: Welcome to New Books Network. I'm Gadim Solonkomer, the host of this channel, and today I'm here with Dr. Eugenia Rosu to talk about her book Orthodox Christianity, New Age Spirituality and Vernacular Religion, The Evil Eye in Greece. The title itself uh, got my attention. In a sense that the title itself put three interesting religions or spiritual movement in the title itself. So this is a very interesting title and this is something which caught my attention. And today um, the author, Dr. Eugenia, is here to talk about uh, the contents of the book and also some of the interesting works that has come out uh, of this very book. So uh, let me straight away go to the author herself and ask her something about herself. Yeah. So Dr. Eugenia, can you tell us something about yourself?
0: Uh, Thank you so much. Uh, It's a great pleasure to be here and discuss my book with you. Um, I'm currently a full-time researcher at CRIA, the Center for Research in Anthropology in Lisbon, Portugal. Um, My academic path has been almost exclusively anthropological, and it was during my BA studies in Greece that uh, I first became interested in the belief in the evil eye. And then during my master's studies at Goldsmiths College London, I had this wonderful course by Professor uh, Brian Morris who was basically the most inspiring teacher I ever had, who led my anthropological uh, interest and, uh, well, my academic path to the anthropology of religion. And then I began a PhD at UCL University of London, where I decided to choose the practice of the evil eye as the main theme of my doctoral thesis and study it in a more profound way. Uh, So, the book is primarily based on my PhD thesis, but um, also with many more improvements in terms of theory and analysis, because um, during the last decade, I did uh, additional fieldwork uh, in Greece uh, for the needs of my current research project. So, I amended many of my initial findings uh, of the book.
1: Yeah, thank you for that. Now, coming to the book itself, and as you have said that this book is a product of your PhD work with um, improvements in there. uh, Can you tell us about the journey of how did you come to this topic? Because I think with any researcher, and specifically with anthropologists, we go to the community, live with them and study them. And I think there's a there's a sense of a personal journey in the sense of how you go to the field, how you identify a field in a sense, and you know how you work with them. So uh, there's so much involved uh, in even uh, picking up a topic, picking up a community, and also doing a lifelong research in in and among certain people. So can you tell us about the journey? Yeah.
0: Uh, the journey, I think, was primarily auto in a way that I was, since a very, very young age, I was involved with the belief in baby life. For example, my mother would uh, do the ritual against baby life for me since the age of three <laughs> or something. Uh, so in, in a way, I was always curious about what is it? Uh, what is this invisible power that can make us sick, and then it would require a religious ritual in order to to remove all these bodily symptoms for, from one's body. So I think the journey began <laughs> somewhere in my childhood, unconsciously, without actually knowing that I would study anthropology a couple of decades later, or a decade later. Um, so this is. In a way, this is how it started because uh, I was always interested to study religion and the supernatural and what's beyond uh, this uh, material, let's say, and um, bodily culture of ours. so in this in this sense um i thought i would just go back to to not to my own community because i come from a village in northern greece but i decided to to go to the two major two of two major not the the two uh, largest cities in greece uh, but the second largest city in greece and in the island of crete where David Lai was approached in a way in two different uh, ways. And uh, so I would also have this comparative aspect of it. And uh, yeah, do in a way, um, not a a biography of my my own culture, but go back with a fresh eye and study Dave Lai uh, through an ethnographic perspective this time.
1: Yeah, yeah, that, that's uh, that's very true and I think many anthropologists in that sense um, does that and also there are also many critical discussion on all, all of this methodological aspect and, and that's something which is quite very interesting which all anthropology have to deal with in terms of the methodological aspect of it. But uh, coming again, coming uh, to the book itself and specifically coming to the title uh, when you say orthodox Christianity, new age spirituality and vernacular religion. Now Obviously, there is a history attached to these movements in Greece, and now. So, can you can you tell us something about it? You know the the contextual existence of Orthodox Christianity and how New Age spirituality comes into this picture, and uh, what is this vernacular religion that you are talking about? Can you just give a historical overview and then the contextual aspect of it?
0: Yes, um, yeah, the main focus of the book is the vernacular aspect of religion and spirituality, meaning that how people during their everyday lives practice uh, their religiosity to use a, a more a term that incorporates in a way both religion and spirituality. Um, Well, religion is employed in the book as synonymous to the prevailing religion, institutionalized religion in in Greece, which is Orthodox Christianity. And uh, spirituality uh, is uh, all these practices that, let's say, do not belong to the uh, uh, organized, uh, institutionalized part of of Greek religiosity. Um, So in that sense, I wanted to see how the two would work together at the level of everyday practice. So this is where the vernacular part and the lived religion that I also use in the book uh, come along. Um, I must say that when I first went to do my fieldwork, I I had no idea that I would find the New Age spirituality there because traditionally the belief in the evil eyes is directly linked to religion. Um, Although, well, (laughs) there is a long story there because um, the the, the Orthodox Church um, accepts a certain part of the evil eye, but not the everyday ritual performance by lay healers. So there is a big controversy about uh, religious power and authority there, which we can talk later if you would like. But um, so... When I actually went to the field, I realized that uh, something in the practice had changed. So people in their everyday practice, my my, my interlocutors, so as not to generalize, had already begun to use uh, the concepts of energy, for example, or spiritual uh, practices or spiritual healing in their own uh, everyday ritual performances. Uh, And suddenly I realized that I cannot really do a research um, that is about a traditional Greek belief. Something has changed in that belief. And this is how the concept of New Age Spirituality began to insert itself in a way in my my writing and, and ultimately in the book. Um, and it all started in, it, it, the way it's uh, although it it kind of existed um, since the sixties in Greece. It was uh, and it had always been related globally to the um, hippies movement. All these ideas of uh, the freedom of spirit and of. Um, alternative forms of healing and holistic health and the holistic health movement, which was a big thing in the U S at the time Um, in Greece. um, It was only, you know, this, like this, this type of um, uh, movement that had inspired the new age to be practiced, but it was very, very uh, specific and practiced by a a few people and to make a long story short. So, For me to to go to Greece in 2005 and uh, suddenly find uh, that New Age spirituality had, in a way, revived um, and was becoming more and more popular was a big surprise. Um, And this is how it all started, in a way
1: yeah um very interesting as we have explained about the orthodox christianity and new age spirituality and how it works i think and especially in the context uh, that you are studying uh, it, it's, it's quite interesting now i think obviously you said something about new age spirituality but i think to be to go deeper into it what i mean there are so much discussion on this hmm, question but what exactly is this new age spirituality in
0: that's a huge question. This is... uh, Well, these days, uh, I think the majority of anthropologists and social scientists and researchers in general try not to use the term because it has been a quite problematic term by many. Um, It involves basically uh, all types of holistic type of healing a turn to, to alternative ways of, of approaching also nature and um, religion itself. And in, it involves this vast uh, amount of different types of uh, alternative, I use the word also alternative because this is how my own interlocutors use it, um, of of practices that basically do not belong to any institutionalized, organized religion. This is how I approached it because, exactly because it involves this vast amount of practices, I decided to go to the the, Uthemic perception of the concept. So this is basically how my own interlocutors in Greece uh, used it. So And this is how... I use also uh, the concept of New Age analytically in the book uh, to respect, in a way, the, you know, the my interlocutor's idea of what New Age is and what the practices that they perform during their vernacular religiosity are um, and try to make it a little bit more... Um, restrained so that it doesn't include this chaotic (laughs) uh, amount of different practices, because this is basically what it is.
1: And so, um, moving on, as we try to put the discussion into context, uh, one more conceptual clarity that needs to be done is um, within religion and spirituality. So this distinction between religion and spirituality, how do you understand this aspect? (laughs)
0: This is yeah, this is another big uh, question. Um, there is um, yeah, there's this stereotype uh, that uh, religion and spirituality can are uh, antithetical uh, and they clash uh, in between them. Um, my approach was different because, exactly, and again, this comes from my own fieldwork because I primarily saw how creatively uh, my interlocutors would employ both religion and spirituality in their field. And in that sense, religion can consist of spirituality and spirituality also can be a form of religion. This is how, this is what, and how my approach is. Um, And there is also a uniqueness in the relationship between religion and spirituality in Greece uh, in the sense that uh, in the Western culture, denominational religion and individualized spirituality are, as I said, perceived as uh, separate and uh, practiced in antithetical terms. But in Greece, um, there was this uh, uh, softness of boundaries, let's say, between the two, and um, this is also why I decided in the book to use uh, religion as synonymous to Orthodox Christianity, spirituality as synonymous to New Age, but use the word spiritual to refer to both religion and spirituality in order to denote that well, uh, Orthodox Christianity also uh has spirituality, who cannot deny that. But as I said, uh, also, um, yeah, um, on the other hand, uh, New Age spirituality includes uh, many keen practices. <laughs> it's, it's very close, in anyway with with, uh, with with religion.
1: Yes. So me coming from india does i mean the similar idea of um, kind of evil eye is somehow prevalent here in the indian context also so i was curious as to in the context that you are studying chris uh, where did this idea of evil eye come from and how does it work in terms of as you talk about christianity and in terms of new age spirituality and vernacular religion and all uh, you know how, how does it work the evil eye and where did it come from
0: Ah, uh, well, the the main Greek explanation, at least that I found, is that uh, it is it it comes from ancient Greece, because, <laughs> um, and more specifically because the goddess Athena had like very intense blue eyes, so uh, whenever she was jealous of something or someone, she would cast a gaze and would make the um, yeah common people <laughs> let's say sick uh, so this is like one of the main explanations that um, i was given um now as for h- how the evil eye works it's basically through everyday uh sensory communication uh, primarily through the gaze so when two people look at it one if one person look at another person with jealousy or with negative feelings, uh, then he or she has the power to give uh, to the other person they lie, um, and this also uh, works with uh, the mouth. Uh, so with gossiping, so when someone gossips about another person, again with a negative uh, type of feeling, then would he or she would also cast they lie. As a result, the, the, the person who would receive the power of the visual or of the verbal uh, negative activity, let's say, uh, would in turn feel uh, sick, would, have, would develop bodily symptoms of illness on their body and would then require a specific ritual type of healing in order to... To, 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 to get rid of the evil eye from, from, from the body.
1: Yeah uh, interestingly now you mentioned uh, sickness or uh, one of the symptoms of evil eye. So I mean so, so is there any other symptoms that can be seen as an affliction of the evil eye or yeah or how do I know that uh, I, have some, I have someone's evil eye on me in that sense?
0: I will not answer from both as uh, not ethnographer who has actually received all of these symptoms in her body, but also uh, my own experience correlates with uh, my interlocutor's experience. Um, so uh, one of the main main symptoms is when someone feels headache. So it's uh, it's it, it, it's it's very it's it's it, it's a very common symptom, but the headache is. Um, is a, a very different headache. I, I don't know how to explain it, but it's a headache and a that cannot pass with paracetamol or other kind of uh, medica- <clears throat> this good, uh, medication. And uh, so uh, it's it's a matter of experiencing uh, this particular symptom so then you can recognize it as part of the uh um and um, also obviously there is this part of the whole practice where uh, when you see someone that you know that potential could give you they lie, then and then you develop some bodily symptoms, then in a way you know that these symptoms come from this uh, this particular uh, person so it's not a symptoms of some kind of uh, sickness but it is from the lie um, this is this is quite contradictory because uh, it has been uh, analyzed in the past by other anthropologists in Greece as uh, a way to of social control so Uh, Well, especially in smaller villages, um, the power of the evil eye is a power of control. So when you want to, uh, when you see someone who is above average uh, socially speaking or who is more beautiful or who has more money or uh, uh, belongs to a different social class, then you give them, in a way, the evil eye in a subconscious way, but also sometimes consciously. So that you you punish them for this um, uh, difference, let's say. Uh, in my book, I did go again, against. Uh, I, I did criticize uh, this um, this analysis because uh, in it, it, it was. It, I didn't. I didn't actually um, find ethnographically this form of control. The the power. And uh, authority negotiations were at a different level, not uh, in in terms of social controlling uh, the community.
1: Yeah. And following up, I think one of the questions is, so how does this evil eye get transmitted in that sense? Because... uh, is is it that the sensory experience that someone is having? Is it that the, the sensory experience is getting transmitted in an, in an evil form, or is it is there some kind of rituals involved, or is there some kind of postures or, wh- or whatever? It, yeah, it may be. So, what is the process of transmission?
0: Most of the times, it is it is uh, transmitted uh, without the person who has the EBI, uh, who, who who can give the lie. <laughs> Can understand that uh, he, he or she can actually transmit it. Uh, so uh, in some cases though, the, from what I heard, for example, that the there are people there I, I met, I'll give you just a specific example. There were a, a few women who, with whom I talked with during my fieldwork uh, that um, would know that they would feel jealous of a small baby, for example, because they themselves couldn't have any babies, uh, any children. But in these cases, uh, consciously, uh, and because they knew that they would transmit the evil eye to, to a small child, they would give instructions of how uh, to prevent their, their evil eye force to affect the child. Um, So uh, there are these uh, specific ways of uh, little charms or little um, spiritual, let's say, (laughs) techniques that they employed in order not to transmit their lie. But yeah, most of the times people do not really admit that they can transmit their lie. Or if they do, it would not be... um, uh, someone who would transmit the eye line then cause illness it would be someone who would see someone on the street and then the other person would fall down for example or would trip uh, so it would they would admit to these small uh, effects that their energy would have but uh, not that they would cause uh, some serious illness and on the other hand there is i uh, there is also the concept of uh, the good eye so and this normally this is uh, something that people can relate to, and they they admit because it it's related to the uh, something positive and not something negative. So basically, I admire you with very positive feelings, and then I can give you the lie, but it comes from a very good place and very good emotional state.
1: Yeah, that's that's quite interesting. Yeah, so. Is there any relation between what you call as evil eye and what we normally call as luck, in a sense, a good luck or a bad luck? Yeah,
0: there, there is, um, there is, and there is not at the same time. Uh, although I did find um, a relationship between what in Greece we called gademia, so this is uh, exactly yeah, it, it is a form of bad luck, uh, but. Um, Whereas the evil eye would be something more individually transmitted, the bad luck would require a, a bigger source or would have a greater effects on on people. For example, you know it would um, ruin their business because too many people would. Uh, cast they on that particular business and and it would close down um, so th- there is this parallel um, like a concept of they lie as related to bad luck, but it's not exactly this they like can cause bad luck but not always.
1: Got it yeah. Uh, before you mention about how a good intention can also cause that evil eye to happen. So, I mean, normally it should be like, if, if there's a good intention, then obviously there should be some good result to the uh, person. So how does this uh, good intention translate into evil eye? The,
0: the main belief is that everything has to do with energy. The, evil eye, uh, the, evil eye that I, the explanation about the evil eye that I met, again, during my fieldwork, um, so it depends on if, if, it's, if we talk about positive energy or negative energy. Um, it's, it, it's what I said before. If someone has uh, positive feelings about someone else, then they, their evil eye would not be as powerful. Uh, if it comes from a negative energy and um, or if they would consciously want to cast negative energy... Then it it would cause an evil type of file. Also, I would, you know, I want to to, to say here that emotion plays a big important role uh, on this. It is all about senses and emotions play an important role. So it is all about the kind of sensory communication and emotional attachment one would have uh, with the other and how this communication would. Um, function individually, but also uh, in, in the context of uh, the everyday social uh, types of interactions.
1: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify is there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. Yeah. And you also mentioned in your book about uh, evil eye and gender. So how does this uh, gender perspective come into play in the aspect of evil eye and this and this ritualistic aspect?
0: There is the stereotype. <laughs> let's come. Uh, let's start with that. Uh, that uh, the the evil eye healer or the healer. The, the, yeah, is 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 an old woman somewhere <laughs> in, in in a small village in the nor- in, in the mountains of Greece. Um, in a way, in in my book, I tried to to. to to maintain uh, the assumption and the openness that uh, the evil can be healed from both genders. Because uh, perhaps I was, I I don't know, I was not lucky, but I was more open to find um, many men also who would practice um, the ritual against the the evil and heal people very effectively. Uh, but it is a fact that, um, especially the ritual against they Lai has um, a, a gender uh, role uh, within it, and uh, it is a quite important form of gender empowerment. So women healers do... Um, have a, a, a quite important social status in, in their community or in their neighborhood um, if they know how to heal from the lie. This doesn't mean, as I said, that men do not practice it because I found that it was also a masculine <laughs> uh, uh, ritual or therapeutic activity in many, many cases. Uh, But yeah, so in in that sense, uh, it is about gendered empowerment, especially when it comes to women. And there is also this other aspect of it, because um, also uh, this uh, female empowerment through the ritual therapeutic practice against Dave Lai um, goes against the authority of the male priest, so, uh, we have this kind of dual uh, relationship between religion, spirituality, uh, Orthodox Christianity, New Age spirituality, male priest, female lay, lay healer. But also, this is why I'm saying that it's all relative and it's all complex and creative because there are many stories where female uh, healers. Um, treated male priests against evil lie so it's it's always a, you know everyday <laughs> negotiations of ritual power that exist that uh, yeah it, they're really really fascinating
1: Now you mentioned that one of the prominent affliction of evil eye is the um, sickness. Uh, sickness is one of the prominent affliction of the evil eye. So obviously there is or there should be a remedy to this one and that is the process of healing. So can you tell us something about or elaborate something on the healing process of those people who are afflicted by this evil eye?
0: Yeah, uh, the majority of uh, healing comes uh, is, is performed through uh, religious praying. So basically... Almost all healing uh, involves um, some kind of ritual that with uh, water and oil and olive oil, uh, which is also uh, linked directly to Jesus Christ and how he sat under the olive tree in this uh, part of uh, religious tradition, let's say. Um, So there is the religious prayer there and uh, so the, the the healers recite this prayer they for in the most um, important or most popular uh, healing they use water and oil and they they they, they start um, putting oil in the water and if it dissolves then the person has the life if it doesn't then it's 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 he hears it either doesn't have the life or they, they, they are already healed. Um, so they, the part that I, that was uh, new and novel and has to do with new age spirituality is that during this uh, predominantly uh, religious ritual, um, again, as performed by lay healers, I'm not talking about how the priest can ca- remove the evil eye away from a person. Um, They also use uh, new age objects. Um, For example, they use um, energetic or new age stones next to this uh, cup of water and oil that I mentioned. They use feng shui objects to kind of cleanse the energy uh, around the person or they some of them also used uh sound healing so they had new age music for example playing in the background while performing these religious connected uh, ritual
1: yeah you m- mentioned i mean when you're talking about healing you mentioned about church and interest Ting you said that, uh, you know, the, evil, the kind of evil eye is kind of accepted in the Orthodox Christianity but uh, without the ritualistic aspect of it and all those things. So, uh, can you elaborate more on what is the Orthodox Christianity understanding of this evil eye and how do they understand this New Age spirituality and also this evil eye and, you know, how much do they accept it and how much it is, like, kind of talked about or kind of, like, you know, prominent in the everyday lives of the people?
0: I, I did mention before the well the, the other aspect the inverted aspect of it having priests uh, asking from ritual healers uh, to to remove the evil eye, but uh, the official um, position of the Greek Orthodox Church is that uh, it exists. It doesn't. It isn't called evil eye. It's called vaskania. So it's uh, another. Term that uh, the, it's the ecclesiastic term that also exists in in the in the writings of the religious fathers and teachers, etc. Um, and uh, so, in that sense, you can only uh, get the evil eye removed uh, from someone if you go to a priest and he reads a prayer. A, church ecclesiastic prayer uh, to you against it. Um, this is the only the only uh, type of the evil eye that the church accepts. As far as the New Age spirituality is concerned, uh, <laughs> in the last couple of years, it has been this huge, um, um, well... Um, In many ways, uh, aggressive uh, uh, opinions from some religious, uh, some some quite um, important and well known religious uh, leaders uh, in the Greek Orthodox Church against yoga, for example, or against all all types of uh, new age, because they do call it a new age, interestingly enough. Uh, so, uh, yeah, there, there has been this huge um, well, controversy with regards to, to how and why a new age is like a part of a new society of the 666 and it, it's gonna, you know, the devil is, has already arrived and it's all um, uh, evil, Um and it has to be classed, in a way, socially, culturally and ritually. Um, it, but also this is an effect and uh, a reaction, exactly because uh, since uh, 2005 that New Age spirituality was a uh, beginning, basically, to become popular. It was, I was lucky enough to start to study it, from the beginning of its popularity, until now, um, it it, it has actually become part of uh, people's everyday life. Uh, It has become considerably more popular than it used to be. And in that sense, the Orthodox Church obviously has to maintain its authority, its religious authority, and its place and position uh, within the contemporary Greek religiosity. So it, it's uh, in socially, at least, it is. Uh, it is what would one would expect um, to react against it, against the power, the newly developed power within uh, Greek religiosity.
1: Yeah, and. Again, one interesting chapter that you uh, that you kind of uh, discuss on, and the idea that you discuss on is the idea of materializing this evil eye, this aspect of evil eye. Now, that you have provided some pictures in your book, uh, which actually something which I have also seen uh, in, in 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 India, also the kind of uh, you know am- amulets and all of those aspects. So. Um, how does this work, this materialization of this evil eye? Is the transfer, uh, power transmitted in the material and how, how does this transmission of power happens, Or what really is it?
0: Hmm. Uh, yeah, one of the most important actions against the evil eye is through the material prophylactic uh, objects that one can buy so that he doesn't... They kind of work as a mirror, Um if someone gives you the life, they can reflect it back to its its giver. Uh, and, uh, yeah, there is um, a big, uh, well, social life of things, as a pastor, I would say. The material objects of the Avili are really popular in, in Greece. They're circulated widely and uh, people, well, there is a... a a big part of the population that actually just buys it because it's fashionable. And especially these last years, for some reason, they have become even more fashionable uh, as objects uh, without any, let's say, spiritually infused meaning. Uh, But there is another big part of uh, Greeks uh, that buy them, so as to be protected from any type of uh, negative energy, be it the evil eye, be it uh, sp- spiritual energy or uh, evil energy that comes from evil spirits, for example. Uh, this is what uh, they, some of my interlocutors would believe. And so, yeah, there is there is a big circulation of those material objects.
1: Yeah, coming to my last question. In your book, you also talk about uh, as a kind of transnationalism of uh, religion in Greece. Uh, So, and now uh, finding certain similar aspects of already practiced religion in uh, some of the other. parts of the country and, you know, trying to appropriate it or trying to uh, relate it to the uh, the known everyday beliefs and practices and also the material objects and also the, at the present scenario, how, how is this transnational aspect of spirituality and religion um, is working out increasing?
0: I think I might take this opportunity to talk a little bit about my my current project because I think it's more related to my current project than the, the, the book itself because obviously the, the book has uh, this um, um, trans-religious aspect uh, on it and uh, um, in the sense that it, it incorporates lots of the, through the practice of daily um, many uh, religious traditions come together uh, through this ritual, uh, especially through this ritual healing that I mentioned, uh, That is creatively encompass, encompasses Greek Orthodoxy through the prayer, um, Hinduism, you know, like yoga practice, Feng Shui, etc., uh, etc., um, so uh, basically, my current project is exactly about the uh, transnational religiosity, and uh, in in Southern Europe. Although I don't focus just on on Greece, but I, I do a comparative research between Greece and Portugal, since both countries um, went through uh, well uh, a very difficult uh, fa- phase of uh, economic and social crisis as well, uh, at the same time almost, which affected, again, their religiosity. And uh, so, in, in that sense, I explore the ideas of spiritual fluidity and uh, um, creativity and transformation uh, at the level, again, of lived religion and uh, vernacular uh, religious practice. Um, And it's this uh, transnational character of uh, everyday religious practice
1: in
0: in both Greece and Portugal that I find fascinating, how, let's say, a very religious person in Greece would incorporate some uh, in, in their belief or their types of healing uh, globalized new age uh, spiritual elements. Um, so it's this, it, it, it um, let's say, rapture um, from a uh, rigid religious tradition that it's, it, it's really important. And this is what the book also is trying to explain um, that the boundaries have collapsed between. Uh, different religious traditions and how they can all creatively be incorporated and adapted in a very syncretic and very uh, open uh, way uh, in everyday practice. And uh, and yeah and then the, there is this uh, importance this uh, of in the world we live in of this transnational uh, globalized uh, multicultural character of contemporary religiosity
1: Yeah, I think transnational religiosity is something which will keep on increasing and becoming more prominent in the years to come. And that is a very interesting project uh, that you you have. And I would like to keep myself updated with your project. Uh, And so, is there anything that I have missed out in the conversation that you want to mention from the book?
0: I think you are pretty clear and uh, you know you touched i think most of the important topics in the book so yeah thank you very much for being so detailed (laughs) and focused thank you
1: yeah. So, if anyone would like to reach out to you regarding your book or have any questions or want to discuss, how does that person reach out to you? Social media, email, or yeah, anything else?
0: You know, my yeah, my if if they research my name and they put either new age Spirituality in Google or in other search engines, I my 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 details will come up. And also, if if they look at Kriya's website at my work's website, which is www.krea.pte. I'm I'm there as well. So, yeah, I I, I would happily (laughs) be reached to to discuss uh, more about my book and about future collaborations (laughs) as well.
1: Thank you, Dr. Eugenia, for being here at New Books Network. I believe that listeners have really cleaned from your work and will continue to, you know, dabble in your work and also continue to carry on the conversation about your book because this is a very interesting and prominent work uh, that you have done and which i think people will be interested and also at the same time this is also up uh, as you are working on transnationalism and all of those aspects this is an ongoing conversation an ongoing work that needs to be done so thank you very much Doctor uh, eugenia for being here and yeah take care yeah bye bye